Start on time tonight. We're going to get our money's worth tonight. We're going to get a full hour in. <laughs> you know, we are in Second Samuel chapter twelve. Seems like we've been uh, away from here for a couple of weeks. A long isn't it? Time. So we've got uh, in chapter twelve. What we've seen is that David uh, got himself into some real trouble. It displeased God. And uh, God is not going to give David any rest or peace until he comes to the fact that uh, he sees his sin. And he repents of it. And so there's a period of distress quite a little bit of a time uh, happens after what he did with Bathsheba and then killed her husband Uriah and uh, his life hasn't been going too smooth since that as we know in the Psalms and uh, other places where he uh, we see him kind of waste away see God sent uh, Nathan then to David to uh, kind of tell a story, and it was a story that uh, really kind of upset David because it just stopped him in his tracks as uh, Nathan was telling the story. Uh, David didn't really get it at first, that it was really pointing at him, and then Nathan says, you are the man, you are the one. David heard Nathan's recital here and uh, and he sees that it's him. He breaks and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And that's in the verse 13 that uh, we are starting at tonight. David's sin actually is to be understood as the exception really rather than the rule. Uh, as far as his faith and his life is concerned. We know David did what was right in the sight of the Lord. A lot of people did what was right in their own eyes. Well, David, what was right in the sight of the Lord, except for chapter 11 and chapter 12, it's kind of parentheses, a parenthetical section that uh, that he has. And... Uh, He's usually known as a man after God's own heart. And at this time, uh, it's an exceptional period and it's totally different than the way that David usually uh, lives. Nathan responds to David's confession as uh, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. He saw that it was him and what he did. And um, this confession here and what David Hears from Nathan, it's comforting and it's disturbing. Uh, he deserved to die for his sin, didn't he? He really did. He uh, committed adultery. Uh, in the law, it says that that life is to be taken. He also did what? He committed murder. And again, he deserved to die. That's what the law said. Um, and yet, we get a, a great, I guess you could say, comfort from Nathan in that uh, David's sin is taken away. What more better news could you get than that? You are forgiven. And that's what he hears. And 
this, you know, the words that he's hearing here are piercing through his heart, uh, David's heart, and we know that then uh, Nathan pronounces that his son will die, though. Even though David's going to live, his son is going to die as a result of it. And it's David's response to the death of his son that will be the focus of our passage that we look at tonight. Um, This is the first of several, I guess you could say many, uh, I guess you could say painful events in David's life. And uh, Uriah and Bathsheba, that whole scene that he had with them, uh, is uh, we get the direct results, the consequences out of it. The tragic death of David's son comes along. It's a consequence of David's sin, but it's not the penalty uh, that David deserves for his sin. He deserves death. God withholds that. Matter of fact, he grants grace. But he also gives something that has to be done. And it's the consequences that come. So that's where we're at as we uh, look at this passage tonight in chapter 12. And uh, you get get a lot of good lessons out of this section here. We did uh, the first 12 verses, I think, a couple weeks ago, where uh, Nathan actually rebuked David. And so that's where we'll pick it up at. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we uh, give you thanks and praise for who you are. Your ways are always right. They're always true. Sometimes we have troubles trying to figure out why you do the things you do and how you do them. But yet when we know you and we know your sovereignty, you are gracious, you are forgiving, You're a great God. You are true. You are faithful in every way. You are a holy God also and a God of justice. And we thank you for that because we know without that, then what witness could we be? And what witness could you be to a lost and dying world? We thank you for this truth and help us guide guide us into this uh, fascinating passage about how you operate and how David actually responds to it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, Nathan has an announcement, verse uh, 13, and we get David responding. Let's do 13 through 15. Avell, can you uh, please read that section for us? 12, verse 13. 2 Samuel 12, 13 through 15. David said to Nathanael, Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by his deed you utterly scorned the Lord, the child child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. Okay. 
what sets this up is, uh, if you back up a few verses, verse 5. David hears a story. David gets mad. Mad at the man in the story who stole the only thing this man owned, you know, this uh, little lamb. And, uh, it's, and it's the rich man that steals it from the poor man. Verse 5, David's anger burns greatly against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. Well, David condemned himself when he said that. He had no idea at the time that it was really a story about him. The only thing is, is that there is no death penalty for stealing, is there? There's restitution and such, but not death. You see, David did something much worse. Adultery, murder. And we pointed out last time there's more actually of the Ten Commandments broken than those two. He coveted his neighbor's property, which is wife. You know, that's coveting. Um, I believe also he would be considered to be stealing, right? Stealing his wife. Uh, also, I see him lying here as he tries to trick uh, the husband of Bathsheba. And most of all, though, he's offending the holiness of God, you know, starting right with the first and second commandment right on, by loving God. So he just breaks them all. If you break one, you've broken them all, really. It's like a mirror. If you break a mirror, you've broken the whole mirror. You know, you have a crack in it, boom, the whole thing goes, right? Well, uh, David had condemned himself, and we see that he said he deserves to die. And no doubt, David deserves to die. By the law, he should have. Um, he was forgiven. That's amazing. Romans 6.23, what does it say? For all... There we go. And that's every man, woman, and child. Every person. That's the nature that we're all born with. That is the nature of the flesh. It's the nature of sin. What are the wages of sin? It's death. Well, David not only had been born a sinner, he also committed sin, like we all do. But God cannot allow His name to be blasphemed by allowing it to appear that He doesn't care about sin. So He takes it very seriously here in the way that it's brought forth. Now, what happens to David is it's brought to him and it's, it's finally hitting that he has really sinned against God. I'm sure, you know, lightly he thought, well, this is kind of wrong to do, but he never really took it seriously. And when it does, it hits him like a ton of bricks. So we turn to Psalm 51, that famous passage which is a passage that we all can relate to. It's about David confessing his sin, this particular sin. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, your mercy, according to the greatness of your compassion, 
blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. You notice you see transgressions. Now you see iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. That is the three word conjunction here that the Hebrew has all throughout the Old Testament. These three words will appear a lot of times together. Transgression that's crossing the line. Uh, iniquity is doing something that would be very rebellious. Sin is uh, uh, coming short of the glory of God. So he says, cleanse me from that. Wash me, for I know my transgressions, my crossing over the boundary line, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only I have sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Now he is confessing his sin here completely, isn't he? And he recognizes that God is good, He is just, He is holy. He's the only one who can take away sin. And He's the one who we really only sin against ultimately. Even though He sinned against other people, here it is finally, it's against God. Well, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. That's a great passage right there. It shows the nature of man. You're conceived in sin because it's passed on from humans, from all the way from Adam, right? And in sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth to the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. David knows he needs forgiveness because he can't continue on like this. And he will not. This is repentance here. This is a true heartfelt repentance. It's one thing about saying, forgive me God, and then the next day doing the same sin over and over and over, right? Here he wants to be washed thoroughly. Make me to hear joy and gladness. He hasn't had any joy or gladness since this thing happened. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. It's like on a, on a board with you know chalk or whatever, a you know, marker. And you come along and you wash it away. You take that eraser. And you totally blot it out. It's gone. That's what he's thinking of here. He's got to get rid of this. And he knows God and God alone can do that. Um, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Remember the Holy Spirit came upon him um, as certain rulers would have the Holy Spirit in a special way. They would be anointed to do the job that God has designed. A very important one it is. So uh, he really treasures the Holy Spirit who guides him in all the wisdom. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Get that. I want that joy back. Have you ever lost joy? Well, it's realizing who you are in the Lord and who you are in His salvation and what He's doing for you. Restore that. He lost it. Not that He lost salvation, but He, re- he lost that joy of it. Sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. When we have gone through certain things, sin or not sin, we can always use that for the good though, can't we? When we've known, when we've experienced it, we now can be helpful to others to keep them from doing it, to teach them. Sinners will be converted to you. He's talking about leading people to the Lord. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Deliver me from my guiltiness. The worst kind. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Look at the doctrine in here. Mine. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. Even those are right things to do, but your heart has to be right before you do those the, the offerings there, right? The sacrifices that he has. He says, just doing that, Lord, I know it's not going to please you. He's got great theology, doesn't he? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. That's what God wants. A broken spirit. Uh, a broken, a contrite heart. When we realize that we sin against His holiness, then He wants us to see that we are broken. And He mends it back. By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. David, once he got the news that he was the sinner, it really hit him. And that's the way it always does with God's people. See, unbelievers are not convicted of sin unless God is working in them. This is a work by God to come in. Otherwise, David would have kept on being the way that he was. It has to be the work of God to come in. So God allowed that to go a certain amount of time. And then David just cries out to him and lets out his doctrine, his thoughts of God, and his thoughts of himself, and knows that he can be restored back to the way that he had been. I think this Psalm 51 came very shortly after he was told that he was the man. That he was the sinner. So the announcement by David that really hurt at the same time started the process of healing for David. So quite a repentance isn't there there. I think it was after the son died. 
It's very possible that all of this came down to being, and we know that he mourned and grieved, and seven days, sun dies. A lot of things happened to David within that week. But I'll tell you what, he became a stronger man in his character than he had ever been before, even though consequences are horrible. But God works all things together for good to those who love Him, called according to His purpose in this case. Sure did. But yeah, the timing of this had to be very, very shortly within that and put that all together. He's definitely doing a true repentance here. So we go back to our text here now. And... Uh, we see that verse 17, David says to the prophet Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Points right at it. Um, you know, I think it's kind of interesting is that it always refers to Uriah's wife. It never refers to David's wife. Like in Matthew, you know, up until this point, it's still Uriah's wife. And then it finally changes, but you're right. That's that's exactly right. In that, in that, you don't see it Bathsheba at first, do you? Right. And there's a point that God's making there, isn't He? And uh, so uh, it says here that as soon as David says that, Nathan said to David. The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. He knows he broke the law. He knows what the law demands. So I'm sure he's ready for that. I mean, he's got some good news. What's that? <laughs> he got some good news. <laughs> yep. You know. You're not going to die. Wow. For God to allow David's sins here to have no painful consequences though, even though he says that, would enable the wicked, all sinners who are not believers, to conclude that God doesn't really hate sin, nor does He really do anything about it when it happens. I think a lot of people would say that. Think that. We know better than that, don't we? David did too, but here it said, Nathan comes back, he says, however, you're not going to die. But, however, because by this deed, because of this action, you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. This is why that there has to be the consequences that are to come. Well, yeah, but, you know, i got to admit, I get a little annoyed at God's timetable. <laughs> you know... I mean, I kind of would like to see sin squashed when it happens. You know, yeah, yeah. He's gonna, he's gonna have somebody. You know, his house is gonna turn against him, and his wives be tamed on blah blah. But that's so far removed. I mean, that's way down the road. So you'd he's like, you'd like his timing dead. to happen immediately, yeah. right? Well, you know what? <laughs> what did David say? I have sinned against the Lord. I am the man. <laughs> so we see the big things that are happening out there. 
And there is the part of righteousness that we would like that to happen. But God's timing is much different and we must be thankful for a lot of reasons why he does what he does, though. Right? I know. Even in my life, it's annoying. When I do stuff, I should, you know... Take a smack down? Really, like, quick. <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> why does he... You, know, you mean, like, rule with a rod of iron? Kind the of, yeah. Kingdom? That's why I'm loving it's Revelation. Out. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, let's do this. So... Yeah, but if he did that all the time now, and most people are unbelievers, it would just be happening all the time. Yeah. They think he's doing it all yeah. the time. You'd be like, what was that? What was that? What was that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so he kind of has to. We know that up around. until this point, before Nathan comes, that David was not at ease. Right. You he know was, it. You know he it. Was kind he of didn't sick. feel comfortable at all, he did he? He was kind of sick. And, I don't think he could eat. I don't think he could carry on his regular normal life. Yeah, it ate at I mean, we know. Yeah, we knew what he did. I mean, we know. When we like when I sin, you know, I make some major errors. You know, I feel it. <laughs> That's not what it is. You sin. It's, it's not a major not error. error. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I feel it. It really, yeah. it's there, and it's haunting, and it and it doesn't go away for a while. Eventually, you know, but it takes time. For that, because in you know, I can feel it inwardly, and then I feel the distance. And even I when feel you like repent, that's a separation. even when you repent, you realize the sin, and you repent, and you still feel really bad. Because, yep. Because you did. Even because though you've asked for forgiveness and you repented, you still, it's still, you did it. And you still. And I got nothing happened yet. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't paid for it yet. <laughs> but it is a gift, isn't it? In the sense that it makes us not want to sin against Him. Well, that's true, but but you also get to... You've sinned. You, you, how, did you, how did you get to that point? Right. I mean, that's what I get I sin. How, how did I go from here to here? I didn't realize it. That's right. What if it happens again? So there's that kind of stress and fear. Right. What, what if I get myself in this situation again? Or what if I get myself in a different situation? How do I keep... He goes, ah, oh, you didn't learn anything last well, time. It does, it does make you a little more aware and keep you in the Word a little bit more and praying a little bit more yes. and, and with the church a little bit more. And I guess that's, <laughs> that's right. part of the lesson. Yeah. Closer. The yeah. closer you get, you know, I, I've heard this one story. When you're real close to someone, you're not like you're not going to get that whipping. From, you know, remember when your parents used to take a right. switch, get it off the tree, and we get the switch on you, you know, with Dad rattling the belt like that, put the belt on you. They don't do those kind of things anymore, probably. And uh, but at the same time, yeah, you, you, you felt it physically, but it's like, yeah, it's, uh, if we stay, but if we, see, he can't whip us when we're close, but if we're far away, or a little bit further out there, man, he can get the, you know, everything on it. Not only that, if you stick by Dad, you probably aren't going to do the wrong thing that you get That's the whole point, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Staying in the Word. Staying in prayer, 
staying in fellowship, uh, fasting, uh, evangelizing, whatever, living it out, all of those things are worshiping God. And when we're doing that, we are close to Him. But if we start to get away in any of those elements, then that's where we are prone. What's the song say? Prone to wander? I'm not trying to raise up sin as if it's a good thing. But it definitely, going from not knowing your sins to knowing your sins is like going from, oh, I don't even know I'm sinning to, oh, now I know I'm sinning. And then you get to know the love and mercy of God and how compassionate He is. It's like you don't get to experience that until you know your sins. Until you know your sinful. Not that you want to continue on sinning so that you can know the love of God more because, you know, sometimes His discipline is not great. <laughs> it's great. It's great. It is great. But it doesn't feel great. So, but it is good. I remember when I first turned to the Lord was the first time I heard my filthy mouth. I did not know I talked like that. So you guys know I talk like that before. <laughs> I know I talk like that. Oh, yeah. It was like he, wow. there was an immediate turnaround in certain things. <laughs> Every you time know, that I said takes away. I heard it and I thought, uh, <laughs> But before, did you ever pay it? Did, I talk like a drunken sailor. And I you did, don't even know it because that's no, what you've done. You know, did it all all years. I just, you know, my mouth just spewed that stuff. And oh, boy, when I heard it, I was shocked. How can that come out of my mouth? <laughs> Who said that? Who said you? Oh, that's the mirror. Wow. <laughs> oh, um, go to Romans 2 for a moment. Thinking oh, about Romans blaspheming. Two. The enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. <laughs> In Romans 2... I put a rod on. Red hot You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. Be speaking to the Jews there, wouldn't he? The Jews are as guilty as the Gentiles because the Jews have the one true God. They have the oracles. And yet, they are the ones doing the same thing. And so therefore, that, that's why that would come into play where David wants to make sure, or God wants to make sure that David still has the consequences to come. Because God is paying attention to this. Even though He keeps David alive, remember He's had a plan before the foundation of the world for David to be king and then also to have a son which is going to be Solomon to, and it's going to go on through that line all the way to ultimately the son of David, the Messiah. So, But here it is. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Because they're not showing the character of God. They're not living holy lives. They're doing the same thing. So what kind of a witness can we make if we're living just like they are? Oh, they catch it all right. 
that's the first thing that they go after Christians. Whenever they see a Christian doing the same thing that they are, then what are they going to do? They're going to go after him. Even though they're doing it too, for one thing, it justifies them. But also, you know, they're right in the sense that sometimes Christians look just like the world. Can't tell any difference. And that's why God used the nation of Israel. He separated them to be holy people that they would be different from the world so they would lead the world to God. They failed. So anyway, the message is given. The child will die. And we can say, why does the child have to take this? Why doesn't he just go ahead and take David's life there? Because that's what the law says anyway. Well, we don't think like God when we say things like that. But that's a legitimate question, isn't it? Um, Nathan tells him, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. There's probably a lot of reasons for it. And I'm sure that that would have been difficult for that child to live the rest of his life. Everybody would know that he was born out of a wedlock, actually, and an adultery relationship. And back in those days, it probably meant even worse than it would now. But anyway, he tells David the child is going to die. David has a response. The Lord strikes the child sick, doesn't He? We don't know what this sickness or malady is, but we do know that uh, in seven days the child dies. The Lord struck the child, it rise widow, who uh, bore to David so that he was very sick. David therefore inquired of God for the child, and David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. So you see the morning... We see the grief here. We see repentance. We see everything all in in this whole uh, time of grief. Uh, Shane, can you read seven or about seventeen through about uh, twenty-three? The elders of his house stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat anything with them. On the seventh day, the baby died. But David's servants were afraid to tell him the baby was dead. They said, Look, while the baby was alive, we spoke to him, and he wouldn't listen to us. So how can we tell him the baby is dead? He may do something desperate. When David saw that his, ser <clears throat> that his servants were whispering to each other, he guessed that the baby was dead. So he asked his servants, Is the baby dead? He is dead, they replied. Then David got up from the ground, he washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, went to the Lord's house, and worshipped. Then he went home and requested something to eat. So they served him food, and he ate. His servants asked him, What did you just do? While the baby was alive, you fasted and wept, but when he died, you got up and ate food. He answered, While the baby was alive, I fasted and wept, because I thought, Who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let him live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him, but he will never return to me. All right. Boy, there's a lot of doctrine in that. <laughs> you get the character of God here. You also get the character of David. It's quite a wonder it is. Now, 
David had mourned when Saul and Jonathan were killed. Remember that? He also mourned when Abner was killed by Joab. Remember that? Also, when Nahash the Ammonite, that king died. He mourned for him. Now, it's interesting, we, don't see, we didn't see him mourning for who? Who? Yeah, well, we see him mourning here, but for actually... Uriah. He didn't mourn for Uriah. But all... Here it is, you know, David mourns a sign of his repentance, you know, and it's all part of that. Is it right for David to beseech God to spare the life of the child? He's already gotten the word from the prophet that the child is going to die. I think it's right for him to pray to be in this situation, we know that God sometimes gives warnings to people in in the Scripture, and unless they repent, He's going to bring on hard judgment. Maybe this is all part of the Davidic covenant. Maybe David is thinking he's the child that is going to be, you know, my son that's going to be the king. Maybe he's thinking that. He's, he could be the heir to the throne. That's not what God had in mind. I do think of this. Have you ever thought of this? Wouldn't it be great? As soon as you become a Christian, boom, you go to heaven. I mean, nothing in between. No stopping anywhere. You know, No collecting $200 at go or whatever. You just go right to heaven. No go to jail. If you guys ever... No go to jail, right? <laughs> yeah. That's right. It's, everything's perfect. Have you guys ever thought of that? No. I mean, <laughs> wouldn't it be nice if we'd just be there right now, you know? Well, in this case, that's I mean, if basically... I that, I'd jump in that river too. <laughs> I don't know why anybody wouldn't. I think a lot of people would... Uh come to the Lord if they've seen somebody just... Yeah. Go yeah, oh, yeah I'm going to. Oh, right. Yeah, they see uh, they see a lot of people come to the Lord there and they kill them. <laughs> yeah. Well... I think it's interesting how David... Because, you know, why Shane? It's because they don't know what happened. Because they want to witness. As soon as you as soon as you become a believer, you're carried out of here. Nobody would know why. 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 Nobody would know but on the other hand, look at the positive aspect. This baby just goes on to to be... Yeah. Well, we say go on to be with the Lord in the Old Testament time period. Until that time comes, we know that there are at least the time of the cross where the Lord takes 
the ones, you know, remember the Hades and the division of it, and I think that he takes the Old Testament saints with him, right? To be with him. It was like they went to the grave, and or they'd go to the graves of their fathers and that kind of thing, but uh, there now is a place where everybody goes. Well, uh, it's interesting that you don't, this baby is not going to have to suffer the kind of life that probably would have as we see what happens in David's family. Yeah. Ecclesiastes, even, even Solomon speaks about that, you know, about how sometimes it's better for a baby to not even be born mm-hmm. because then it'd have to suffer and have to suffer. this world because it's full of evil. It said we have it backwards that we should mourn when a child is born and rejoice when someone dies. <laughs> <laughs> and in a way, I understand yeah. that. You guys get it? Yeah. But if you told that to anybody oh, that yeah. doesn't know yeah. the Lord, they would really have difficulty with that. Sounds backwards. But actually, we know that if they're a Christian, they go to be with the Lord. They're, they're much better. But it's not that we wish that we would die or you know. Yeah. You know, you you want to do a favor to somebody, so you kill them because they'll get to be with the Lord. (laughs) But the thing is, a lot of people would see this. The Lord takes this baby's life. Well, He takes everybody's life. He kills everybody, and you say, "Dennis, how could you say that?" (laughs) You guys know the answer to that, though, right? He has their time. You know, I'm thankful that we don't live on this earth as it is for the rest of eternity without getting a glorified body. And we have to die first to get that glorified body. Unless He comes back and we meet Him in the air at the rapture. (laughs) Then we just get transformed. Same thing. Well, David was right in the assumption that the life of this child was in God's hands. We know that David, I think he does the right things. Because he, he should be praying. We wouldn't be doing the same thing. We wouldn't want that baby to die. Well, we do that all the time. You know? We find somebody has cancer or something else like that. We, you know, we, we pray, pray for them and, and pray that God might even heal them, right, if, he, if it's his will. Yeah, and, right. But what we get here is David also believed in the sovereignty of God. So he's mourning, he's grieving, he's fasting, praying, uh, repenting, confessing this whole time. And, uh, you know, it's it's just like nobody even wants to bother him. You know, he's taking this so seriously about the baby and, of course, what how he was the one responsible for it. He has a, uh, really a request. And the thing is, is that the Lord denies the request. I would, I would too want that baby to live, no matter what. That I would be, and you guys would be too, wouldn't you? But as soon as it's over, the servants are totally surprised in David's response. If he's grieving now before the baby dies, then he's really going to go nuts whenever he dies. And it turns out to be the opposite, because you realize that there's nothing else to do. Yeah. The prophet told him that he's going to die. He did. He believes in a sovereign God. And so the long and short of it is that no one wants to be the bearer of bad tidings. 
But the servants come out amazed and puzzled out of this, this whole deal. They're perplexed. But he changes his behavior just like that as soon as he hears that the child is dead. And he doesn't go berserk. Matter of fact, it was an unusual response to them. And we we can explain it in this way. And I think I've got these down on your outline there. See what you guys think. Child's death. The child's death was foretold by Nathan. So David already knew that, and he's pretty well taking that this probably will happen. But if I pray, I repent. Maybe God will change his mind in that sense which he has done. Do you remember uh, there was a a whole city? Nineveh. That's exactly right. And of course, Jonah did not want them to repent. Those Arabs. (laughs) Right? Those evil people. Even the babies. The ones that can't even decide what's right and wrong. I mean, that's how... Compassionless. You got to wonder, wonder what his preaching was like. He didn't. Oh want boy, it was hard. <coughs> no, yeah, he said, I knew you were going to save him. I knew you would. Yeah. That's the kind of God you are. Yeah. And he hated that yeah. part. That's called grace and mercy and love, like uh, forgiveness. <laughs> What's that? I said I feel like we're living in a Nineveh. Oh well, we are. Probably worse. Seeing like some of these 18-year-old, 20-year-old kids and how they're just like, wow, you guys are really warped. They have really warped your brains. You have totally like drawn into this. And then you look at the parents and then now the parents have these new babies and how they're they're like, well, we're going to just let our baby decide what gender they are. All this other weirdness is going on. It's just like, this is accelerating. This is becoming more and more like Nineveh. Well, that's, that's where we live. That's where we live. Yeah. And you're just saying, you know, it's like the people in Nineveh, they didn't know the right from their left. Like, not necessarily that they didn't know that the right hand or the left hand, but that they just didn't know the difference yeah, between so good and bad. Because they were just... There was no, no rights, no wrongs. There That's exactly where the world no wanted to get. There. Oh, and every time God lets people go for a minute, that's yeah. where they go. They did it all time. Mm-hmm. And Noah was building the ark. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, look how bad they were. Yeah. He's, he's and even the Benjamites. Yeah. Benjamites. Yeah. The people in Israel did what was right in their own eyes. No rights or wrongs. Whatever was right to them, they made the decision, right? So Nathan tells David what was going to happen. Also, the child's death was explained by Nathan. Because he came along and he says, you give an occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Here you are. You are the Israelites. You are the Jewish people. You are to be setting an example and you are no better than them. Matter of fact, you're worse. Because you know better. Because you know better. <laughs> and that's why I'm going to have to do something drastic. Please go. Yeah. All the 
time while David was mourning, he, you know, he's repenting of this because ever, ever, ever more is all this coming to him. And, and of course, eventually or sometime, he's going to write this down as a psalm. Who would have thought that anybody would put their own confession in a book for all to read from there on out? And most people know about Psalm 51, don't they? Or at least believers do. We identify with that psalm we read earlier. Uh, the child's death was the final answer from God. He gets his answer. He was praying for an answer. We pray a lot and we don't always get the answer. Or at least we don't think we do. We always get answers, but this answer here is not what we would want. David gets a clear answer. No. David sees death here as the time to just stop those activities which were... I guess you could say only appropriate in, in life. Uh, as David went on, he, he you know he saw that this is this is where this has come to, and God has given the answer to the way that it's going to be, and and it was, and then uh, David is comforted by God's grace. After this is all said and done, it's just like he takes uh, takes off the morning clothes and puts on life in God. No, they they wouldn't have done that. And so yeah, he, he definitely showed, you know, this is what this is. Uh, look in Joel chapter 2. In the prophet section, before Amos, Joel 2, verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. You know, they tear their clothes. But he's saying it's really about the heart that it be broken. Now return to the Lord your God. Why? For He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Who knows whether He will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind Him even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Uh, this is the character. This is the nature of God. You want to see God? Look at His grace. Look at His compassion. Look how slow to anger. And there's that, you know, what you were talking about, Penny, earlier. Like, I also say that. I wish God would just put that out right now. But he, this is how patient he is to let even the worst of blasphemies go on and not instantly turn them into ashes like that. Abounding in loving kindness, mercy. That's the kind of God that we see. And, and 
you know, to think of that kind of God. That's what David is seeing here. He's comforted by God's grace, I, I think, in this whole deal. As it's being done, and then whenever the child dies, he experiences the warmth, the comfort of God's grace. David knew that God was able to save his son. He knew he could do that. But he also knew that if he did not do that, it's still by grace alone that David uh, lives on this. If he would have saved him for a physical life, it would have been grace alone. David understands that. He finds comfort and he knows that grace is sovereignly bestowed by God and God's choice. See, David didn't have a word in this matter. Uh, the case of the men of Nineveh, God did relent, didn't He? The city was spared. And of course that displeased Jonah. In the case of David, God didn't relent. David cannot legitimately be angry with God, and he's not. He responds in the way that a man of God responds. Uh, he didn't deserve any of that at all, did he? Now, the question is, so we have about seven minutes left. You say 20 minutes? What? <laughs> <laughs> and it might last 60 minutes. Do babies go to heaven? What do we see here in Second Samuel? I think it's it's a great text for this. Unless you're like a child, you cannot enter. Well, he says it right here. I shall go to him. But he will not return to me. Uh, whenever I die, I'll go to be where he's at. But he can't be dead and then come back to me. Uh, pretty easy statement, uh, but it's very profound for him to say this because there is a great debate amongst God's people has been for a long time that we can't ever say that Babies go to heaven. I don't see why that would be a debate. Because of the kids' salvation. I was going to say, yeah, the, the Catholics, and they don't have the last race and they're not baptized. If they'd have been baptized, baptized, if a baby had been baptized, it wouldn't have happened. I have had somebody, That's right. a little boy, die. Tell me, because I was a Catholic, well, you know. He wasn't baptized. He right. wasn't baptized yet. Yeah. Here, the passage, the passage right here tells you something. And not only that, but even Solomon says it's better for a baby not to be born. Why would it be better for a baby not to be born if their end is just worse than if they were alive? Right. There's a judgment coming to them. They're in in their pureness. They're in their innocence. Even God forgives people who sinned unknowingly. But they didn't sin. Exactly. That's what I'm They have not acted upon anything. They're just infants. I think it's great that David knows this because he is assured that he will be reunited with the child in heaven. He's not talking about being at the very next grave that's next to him, you know, 
wherever that would be, right? Uh, he's talking about uh, an eternal place. Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him. I will go to him. Um, I will see him again. And I believe that means that all babies who die will go to heaven. Now I know in Reformed theology, there are several, especially in the day that we live, that will take the opposite view. And um, and other people outside of Reformed theology, and as Frida said, Catholic theology would be that way if they're not baptized. And that would be one of the... Uh, Things that would be mentioned here. Yeah, but they have to be baptized. David didn't say that. The the thing is, is like, well, if God's going to elect all of his people, then he doesn't have to elect all the babies that are ever born. And by the way, they are born in sin. Those are the logical um, remarks that you'll usually hear. I've heard it from many of my uh, dear brothers in Christ, reformed and very doctrinally sound, because we don't know that, they say, and then we can use some thoughts here from God's Word. Um, we were talking about Jonah, Jonah early. You know, God gave Jonah a lesson about grace. And... Jonah doesn't distinguish between the children and the adult Ninevites. The ones who uh, didn't know uh, right and wrong. That would be considered like babies. Like the one here of, of David's baby. Um, how can they consciously choose to willfully disobey God or to trust and obey Him? You can say, wait a minute, now we're getting to work salvation or we're getting to, I have to believe and, and such, I have to have faith, which is true, but God grants that and it's all in grace. Uh, we don't choose God on our own anyway and it's not because we uh, do good and not evil most of the time. And we take the whole fact of we all are born in sin. That's the nature of man. And uh, we know that uh, death is what results out of that. But the Old Testament and New Testament affirm that children are not to suffer condemnation because of the sins of their parents even. Uh, we know in Deuteronomy 24.16, it'll mention, you know, and of course we've heard where the sins are passed on generation to generation, but every person is responsible for their sin. But the thing is, what about the ones who don't have consciousness of right and wrong, of sin? How about those babies who have no idea even though they're born in sin, it's still going to take the grace of God, isn't it? Everyone who is condemned as a sinner in Romans 1 through 3 has received a revelation about God. Somebody will say, What about those Africans or those people on that island? And Romans 1 through 3 explains that. Yeah, I was about to say it. Yeah. God has revealed who He is even to them. If they want if they truly want Him, they are of Him, uh, then they will seek more and more knowledge of Him, which is exactly what happens. But it's always the grace of God that moves in that. 
But Romans 1 through 3 is showing the nature of man. He's in his sin. And we realize that as it goes through, there also is a second Adam. We're all born in Adam, but the fact uh, is, is that people still reject Christ. Why is that? Well, they would continue to do it, wouldn't they? But every child who is a sinner by nature is going to blossom into a child who is a sinner by deed. But the only thing is, what about those ones who don't get to practice those deeds right and wrong? What's that? That don't get to blossom. Right. That, and that's exactly what it is. Thanks for saying that, because that, that helps. They, yeah, they don't, they don't get to show that how much one of a sinner they are by those deeds. But what, what of those children who die before they become a sinner by deed? Romans five tells us how God has accomplished means for infants to be saved from condemnation. The issue addressed by Romans 5 is this. How can one person, Jesus Christ, who is the second Adam, be the Savior of all those who believe in Him? And how can one man save many by dying for them? Everybody's in Adam. But we're not left in Adam because Christ made a way for His people to be saved. And so Paul gives us in Romans in Romans 5, and the first and the second Adam and such, it was one man, Adam, who brought sin upon the human race. Two, it was one man, Jesus Christ, who provided the solution to the problem of sin for all who believe. The death of Christ is presenting the cross of Calvary, and it's the means by which infants are saved too. How are we all saved anyway? Because we've done some good deeds. We chose right, not wrong. That wasn't it at all. They are saved the same way that we are by grace. They deserve just like anybody else. But there's a thing about the right and wrong which they can't even practice I explain uh, this is how I explain the confidence and peace of David here as was demonstrated as his son died he, that's one passage right there I think that's instrumental I've used it many times we had uh, a, a couple Lance and Cindy who uh, had a baby that was stillborn they knew that that was going to happen, and uh, um, she, before this, not too long before this, was not a believer in Christ, and uh, everybody knew it, wherever she worked and such, and God worked on her heart tremendously. Uh, she wanted to have the baby born, full term, and then to have a funeral for the baby. And I thought that was amazing. And uh, Penny, Debbie, Carolyn might remember that. And I sure do. And because all along, I wasn't just saying it to make them feel good. 
saying, well, you know, we know where that baby's at. That baby is in heaven. I wasn't doing it just because, hey, uh, you know, you always want to tell people who lose people that, well, we don't know about others, people, especially if they've never confessed Christ. Believers, we do know, and we could say that, but I, I could say it very easily, and everyone else did too, because they understood our Samuel passage, they also understood like in Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus speaks. And it's really, it's, it's grace, isn't it? And it makes you have a lot of comfort about our God. Disciples came to Jesus and said, verse 1, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child to himself and set him before him and said, Truly I say to you, Unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. So, you know, he's speaking about, you know, you know children and the humility that is there and maybe even not even knowing right and wrong or up to a point where maybe they they do but still yet he sees a precious child there how about Matthew 19 verse 13 then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray and the disciples rebuked them but Jesus said let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these to lay his hands on them, he departed from there. We see how precious they are. And I uh, got a passage in Deuteronomy, and our hour is really kind of gone. But definitely wanted to get to this, and here we are. Um, Deuteronomy 139, a promise by God to the nation of Israel. Moreover, your little ones who you said we become a prey. And your sons who this day have no knowledge of good or evil shall enter there and I will give it to them and they shall possess it. Um, their children, their babies, uh, the, the ones who do not know good or evil or their right hand from their left hand, they, there's not a, a, that, that kind of consciousness of it. Now, we've looked at Scripture which is really what we go by, I know it seems like to people that we're reading into that, those passages are special to me because I think it's the very character of God to do that. So I think, uh, you know, that also some of the greatest saints that have ever lived and have written books and some of the ones that are precious to us what do they believe in that? What are the some of the greatest reformers? Who's the prince of the preachers? C.H. Spurgeon, one of my all-time favorite. Of course, he would expound on texts like this, and he would preach this, and not apologizing for it at all. That babies go to heaven. All babies go to heaven. Exactly. You know, C.H. Spurgeon, there was a guy during, you know, like 
close to his time by the name of John Gill. Now, he was almost considered to be a hyper-Calvinist, if you know what I mean. Uh, you would have thought that this guy would have believed that uh, we can't say that babies go to heaven. No, just like Spurgeon, John Gill preached that all babies go to heaven. Who else? John Calvin. If you're a Calvinist, you ought to be proud that John Calvin also said that babies go to heaven. Lorraine Bettner, who wrote a book on predestination, considered to be pretty hard and heavy by Calvinist, and he also said that babies go to heaven. How about Charles Hodge? back during the Princeton theologian age in the late 1800s. One of my favorites wrote systematic theology, Babies Go to Heaven. How about B.B. Warfield at the same time? Charles Hodge was around in the late 1800s, same thing. You will find that we are in great company. And John MacArthur wrote a book dealing with babies going to heaven, and he used a lot more names that I have here and treated the text a lot more thoroughly than what I've done here tonight. But it gives me great confidence that this is absolutely right to say that. And that gives us comfort when we understand that, and we should be praying that babies wouldn't be aborted and you live in one of the greatest states maybe the best state in the nation dealing with against abortion and last year there wasn't a single abortion in this state I understand wow. really? and we are the best state right now there are other states following suit maybe going even beyond it but we need to keep praying and we need to keep praying federal tax dollars are going to abortion exactly Exactly. Long way to go. And Sandy was pregnant for her little girl, and the doctor said, "Well, she's got this and she's got that, and you should have you should have an abortion." Wow. And she was like four or five months pregnant, and she said, "Of all people saying that, right? Oh, I know better." Than that. How dare you tell me? Well, and they said, "Well, the baby's not going to look as good as Dylan before they said going to die right away." And Sandy said. Let's see. My doctor didn't even care if it was good or bad or what. He found out I was pregnant and I had a baby at home that was three months old. And he said, oh, we can take care of that now, you know. <laughs> so I don't think take so. care of your eye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, that was before he knew anything about my baby. Exactly. That was Shay Shay. Yeah. We didn't have a Shay. Wouldn't that shit? Wouldn't have another doctor. And that's you don't want that. That's right. And how much further can that go down? <laughs> So, but still murder. and that's, murder. you know, at the same time, even what this government has done in our nation, we continue to pray that, you know, we are, you know, definitely pro-life as can be, and we will till the day Christ comes back. But the thing is, still yet, God has numbers, millions and millions of babies that He's going to bring right into heaven. And I'm not saying, hey, we should kill them because they can go to heaven. <laughs> Far from the opposite. People might start saying oh, no. that to like, promote. Because no. there's a wicked generation. They would do that. I know they would. That's why I've never said anything yeah. like that. Because I'm worried, like, you know how you throw out an idea yeah, and then that idea somebody oh that could be taken wrong yeah, yeah. somebody takes that idea it's like I really like this let's use it 
forearm movement. Yeah, I got this from Mel. That's one thing I love about Paul the Apostle, because when he says something, he's making a point. He already knows what they're going to say, so he's like, now you will say to me that... He knew the the question before they said it. That's what he would do back in the day. Right. I know. Right. So, you know, it's... You've got to learn to do that. <laughs> and that's why we we uh, we pray like David prayed here, but yet at the same time we know God is sovereign in it. That's never an excuse to the people who are practicing such an evil. And this nation will be punished severely for that. But yet at the same time, God is amazing, isn't He, in what He does. So He gives He gives comfort even the loss of a child. God forgives our sin. Not always the consequences, though, does He? God is more concerned with His reputation than He is our happiness. There's a lesson about unanswered prayer here that David was involved with. And believers have this hope and comfort in the midst of all the tribulation that they go through even when David finally came to that truth, and he kind of knew it, but when it really hit him then, it seems like a whole load was just let off his shoulders. And now you're, you're like set free again, even though you're, you're set free because of what Christ has already done. In our text, we see that Solomon then is born in verse 24-25. That's interesting, isn't it? The son dies, now the very son that David has with Bathsheba is Solomon, the king of peace. And what a picture that is. And God promised that, didn't He? Wow. But from Bathsheba, and not the first one. God is amazing. <laughs> and, so, and then we see victory over Rabbah. If you want to read it, it's... The, the fact is, is that remember they had besieged that city, mm-hmm. Rabbah, which is the Ammonites, and they. It's not until after this time is whenever they go in and finally take it. Mm-hmm. And you know David is a part of it. And matter of fact, uh, the <laughs> commander says, if you don't go in there, then I'm going to claim you know this victory for myself. You know, the king needs to do this. And remember, that's what got him into trouble in the first place. He didn't go out there with them. Things changed drastically for David back for the good. And, you know, it's all God doing it. Every bit of this. And he never made David sin. That's not the case. But a gracious God, isn't it? Wow. Dear Father, thank You for Your truth that You gave us tonight. There are so many truths in here, but behind it all we see a sovereign God and a gracious, loving, merciful God, compassionate, upright in every way, even though we saw some of the worst things that could happen to a man of God that actually committed sin in such evil ways. And yet, God, You turn it into good. Only You can do that. We are amazed. We are in awe. You are great.
In Jesus' name, amen.